These days my waves get lost in the ocean. Seven billion swimmers, man, I'm going through the motions. Hi, this is Nancy Herald, and welcome to my show, High Road to Humanity. In every episode, I tell you powerful true stories filled with great wisdom that you can use in your own life as you strive for a higher road to travel. My featured guests will have their own unique stories to tell that enlighten your mind and your soul. So kick back, relax, and learn the secret to success when you take the high road. Hey, welcome to High Road to Humanity, and this is Nancy, your host, and what a show we've got for you today. I have a wonderful guest. Her name is Maria Nambu, and she is actually from Tanzania, East Africa, and before I bring her on, I'm going to give you a little background about Maria, and I want to read a little from her book. She actually has three books. She has a trilogy, and this is some powerful information. And let me just say, if you have any teenage girls, young girls who need to learn some life lessons, these books are full of them. I learned so much from reading her book. I mean, even I just was, wow, everyone should read this book. Um, but anyway, I'll tell you more about it here, but let me give you a little um, background on Maria. She was born in Tanzania, Af uh, East Africa. Uh, she was raised by German nuns at an orphanage for mixed-race children, and throughout the hardship, she had mixed blessings of her childhood. She, she sustained her spirit through dance and kept alive her dream of further education. She was able to fulfill that goal in the United States, where she attended St. Catharines University in St. Paul, Minnesota, on a full academic scholarship. Now, she graduated in 1967 with honors in French and pursued graduate studies at the University of Maine, Laval University in Quebec, Canada, and the University of Rennes, Rennes I think I'm pronouncing that right, in France. Okay, so she has taught French in Minneapolis high schools for five years. She has gone back to Africa. She's checked, she's found her roots. She has done so much, so much, um, work with her dance. She's a dancer. She has used her dance to teach other people about, uh, Africa and the dances and the music that they use and how uplifting it is. She's a very spiritual woman and I really was struck by something out of her book. So I don't usually read a lot, but I'm going to read something to you because this really, man, hit home with me. And this is when she was a little girl. She writes about when she was in um, the orphanage. So here we go. I sit back and relax. I'm going to read a little bit from her book real quick. Was there anybody who wanted me? The sisters cared for me, but did they really want me? I couldn't answer these questions, but then I realized there was someone who wanted me. I wanted me. I wanted to love the one that no one else loved, Fat Me, just as I was. That same day, I created another Fat Mary in my mind. She was chubby as a child, so she called herself Fat Mary, so that's if, if y'all wonder why I'm saying that. <laughs> who would love me and whom I would love no matter what. I promised her I would take care of her, I would be in charge of her, like Zammy was in charge of me, but I never beat her or took her food. Fat Mary wasn't like the imaginary friends that other kids had. My Fat Mary and I were more like twins who took care of each other. She was responsible for bearing the emotional and psychological pain of events and issues in my life that I couldn't face and couldn't understand. She also safeguarded the meaning and happy moments of my childhood and flashed them before me when I needed to be reminded there that there was a lot of goodness around me. 
She provided me with the balance necessary to cope with the tribulations of my existence. And more than anything, she was my constant companion who would never abandon me. Wow. Welcome to High Road to Humanity, Maria. Thank you very much. That, you know, I, that was so powerful because I thought to myself, if we could teach every child, every person, that if they just love themselves, then all these things that happen to you in life, we can make it through it because we've got ourselves. Yes, and you know, to me, that's the point of all of my books because, you know, I don't know how I figured that out. I and don't either. You were so little. <laughs> I know I was so little, but I, I always think it was, it was, uh, you know, the same necessity is the mother of invention. You know, I, I had really nobody who loved me. I had no one. So I just decided that I, but I looked around and, and I saw me. I was, I was living. I, I, I was someone. So right. I had me. And I think because I had no one, I, I just realized that you know, I, I could be whatever I was looking for other people, the love I was looking from other people, since they were not there, I could just, you know, I was a person myself and I could give it to myself. It was just that simple and somehow that was the secret that really sustained me and helped me survive throughout my life, even even today. Right. Well, you know, and let's go back a little. I want to talk about the orphanage because there were German nuns who took care of you. There, um, you had to pray every day. You went to mass. Tell me, tell me your story. Tell me what it was like for you. I mean, I read the book, but I want the audience to hear your story. Just give a, a little synopsis, if you would. Okay. You know, a long time ago, and I was born in '43, so I'm 76 years old. You look so great. At that I just time, to, I just want to say, children, children. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, you look great. Oh, <laughs> I'm hanging in there, yeah. <laughs> like the Americans say. But uh, at that time, uh, mixed race children were just not accepted very well in the general African society. The uh, uh, African mothers who had us were very often ashamed of us, and uh, the the European or the white fathers very often who had us didn't even acknowledge us. So we were in this society, but we were very often uh, discriminated against. We were called so many, many names. Some of us were actually hidden in the villages by the, the mothers, you know, and they would never go anywhere. Some, I sometimes say some of them, might have lived and died without even seeing the sun because they, they were hidden. I wow. always say I'm so grateful I was not one of them. Well, in about 1932, uh, an order of German nuns, the Precious Blood Sisters, Catholic nuns, came to Tanzania and opened up an orphanage for us, for mixed-race children. So word got all over the country that there was a place for us now. And children came in every shape and size. You know, some were 20, some were 15, some were, were 10, some were 7. I was three days old when I was brought there. Mm -hmm. And so the other girls, the bigger girls who came there, they, they took care of us. They took care of our grooming. They took, no, took, took care of, of feeding us and all this stuff. But unfortunately, the big girls, they really abused us. So it was a very difficult life. We were beaten for so many things, as you have seen in, in the book. I mean, I don't yeah. remember a day in my very early life when I, I escaped the beating. I was always hiding. I just was, didn't know what, what I did. Sometimes we didn't even know how, know why. 
you know. And the nuns in general, they they cared for us. They were really good. But there were a few who were outright cruel. They were very right. very cruel. So all around, it was a, it was it was just survival. It was, you just kept to yourself and you did what you were told, you know. But what was difficult also in the in the orphanage was that not everyone there was an orphan. Word got out that this place it was called Kifungilo. Uh, had a school, a good school. So there were mixed-race children whose parents were married, were legally married, and they wanted and loved their children. You know, they brought them there too, because whether the parents wanted them or not, the society discriminated against them. So they too were in the same boat as us, so they came there. The unfortunate thing for us, the true orphans, is that you know, the parents of the other of the orphans took them home for holidays and they brought them presents and they just were treated completely differently from those of us who had nobody. So that was something we had to deal with also at a very, very early age. I had to find out since I didn't have parents, I, I didn't have all these other material things that the children with parents had. I had to find something else that I had that was also also good and that was this was just me like I said me myself and I you right. know and that's right. where I went and and uh it, it really helped me out now I want to ask you something I am um, you I know the nuns had you go in and pray and you say in the book that some of the prayers and things you didn't understand and some you did do you feel that and you always pray, prayed to Jesus to the baby Jesus and I thought that was really awesome and I just wonder um did you cuz I feel like you must have connected with God Yes I really I really think I did because um I did not get a lot of the the dogma and the rituals of the Catholic faith. We said so many prayers that most of them were in Latin, which of course we didn't understand, you know. So um, we we prayed a lot, and I always knew there was someone bigger and greater than me. We were told we were children of God, God, and I stuck to that. I right. just really believed that there was some divinity, there was some divine presence around me everywhere, and yeah. and. I went there often. Yeah, and that amazed me as little as you were. And you said at one point you didn't know your birthday. And so you just came up with a birthday because it was your friend's birthday. And you said, I guess I'm not, I'm five years old and, and my friend's five years old. So that's what we're going to do. Yes. A, yeah. And that was amazing to me. You know, I give you a lot of credit because uh, for a little child, you sure knew a lot. You were a sharp little cookie. <laughs> As we say, you know, but it's funny, nobody thought so. I asked so many questions all the time and they called me stupid. Of course, I was fat, so I was a stupid, fat Mary. And and they told me the reason I was asking so many questions because I knew nothing, nothing. And they didn't know it either, but I asked questions, so I was called stupid. So I really had to go within myself and fat Mary to answer my questions. Right. I just think that's amazing. And you were very smart and you... We've got about one minute till we go to our first break, but what's really interesting, and guys, we're going to, she has three books, so we're going to tell you about her life story, and it's an amazing story of success and triumph and love and she, all kinds of stuff, and, and we have more to tell because you do find your parents eventually in the other couple books that you talk about. So um, her first book, just so you all know, if you want to read it, it's really fantastic, and I think if you have young girls, it's called Africa's Child, um, and this tells 
tells the story, the first book, of her being in the orphanage, and it takes you through the time that she ends up, and we'll talk about it in the next segment, in the United States. She has a woman who adopts her. And so we've got about 30 seconds left, but we're here today with Maria Nambu, and we've got a couple more segments, guys. So I'm going to go on and into some depth here, and we're going to talk about her life because she's a really interesting lady, and how motivating for the rest of us, uh, Maria. What a life. Thank you. You know, when someone talks like that about me, I, I, I don't think it's me. I think it's someone else. I just feel like all these things, all these things happen to someone yeah. else, and I'm just an observer. I'm always right. very surprised. Website, fancyyearout.com, to book your first 30-minute coaching session for free to get you on your high road. all you high road listeners out there i just want to take a moment to share with you our new sponsor i've been working with bestradiotravel.com to bring the lowest hotel prices to my loyal listeners stay tuned during the show to hear more about how you can save 15 to 30 percent off your hotel rate have you ever been in a situation where you needed a miracle I think most of us probably have, whether it's a financial emergency, health crisis, or some other serious situation, most of us know the feeling of helplessness and even hopelessness. Now imagine having to wait for a miracle for six months, even a year or more. That's the situation for thousands of children all around the world who are waiting for a sponsor. Their only hope of escaping the poverty around them is someone like you choosing them. This is Nancy Yarrow, and I'm joining with compassion to give you the chance to be the miracle in a child's life. For a little more than a dollar a day, you'll provide the physical, emotional, and spiritual support a child needs, not just to survive poverty, but to be released from poverty in Jesus' name. Don't make a child wait one day longer for their miracle. You can find out more or sponsor a child right now. Just go to my website, nancyyearout.com. That's www.nancyyearout.com. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road. Welcome back to High Road to Humanity, and this is Nancy, your your host. We are here today, Maria Nambu book and wonderful story that she's telling us. Uh, the first book is called Africa's Child and we were just discussing what it was like in um, the orphanage that she was in and she was telling her story. Maria you said that um, and we, I was talking to you about you didn't know how old you were but uh, were you about five years old when you when you realized that you didn't know when your birthday was or, or when did you find out when your birthday was? Well I found out when my birthday was when I met my 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 mother, okay, you know, which was like when I was uh, 36, 
that's sí. when I met her for the, my my birth mother for the first time. But uh -huh. when I decided I was five years old, my little friend over there had a birthday, and uh, she was five years old. So we both decided that I was five years old. And as it turned out, when I found out my birthday, I was five years old. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Oh my goodness. I want to talk a little bit more about um, what it was like. You learned to speak Latin and French, and you spoke Swahili. And you speak Swahili. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Latin was only the language we used for prayer in church. Okay. You know, but um, we Swahili was the language of uh, you know the people speak in most of Tanzania. But then there, there were tribes in the surrounding villages of the orphanage, and they were the Samba tribe, and they spoke Kisamba. And then we had to learn English, and then the Germans spoke only German. So oh my God. and they taught taught us English, you know. So right, Swahili. Right. So we turned out speaking some kind of gibberish that nobody could fully understand. It was a mixture of almost everything. So later on, when I went to an all-African school and everybody was learning English and speaking very good Swahili and they had their own tribal language, they were all wondering what language I was talking. I see. Because it was really mixed. So I made a point to learn Swahili very well, and then I also was, was good at English. And you learned French. Yes, I learned French here in America, in college, in America. what I majored in. I didn't know it at all at that time. I want to back up a little bit because there was something else in the book that really hit home with me. And you grew up and you were able to go to school at, in another place and you learned from, and there were American nuns who taught you at one time, right? Yeah. And I, I'm... Cool. And then you talk about rock and roll was coming on the scene and Elvis and the nuns told you it was sinful because you like to dance. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was laughing. I was like, oh, she's dancing and they're going, no, it's a sin. <laughs> so I laughed at that one. But what really hit home and what I wanted to bring up, um, and, and the reason I bring this up, because a lot of young girls run into this, so this is why I'm, I'm going to talk about it. You met Father Michael. And you met another um, father, a priest, while you were a young girl. And you were beautiful. There's pictures in the book, you guys. She was absolutely gorgeous. And so you met these uh, priests, and you, you know, had a respect for them. But they both were in love with you. Well, uh, that's what I thought you I know, know. at the time. Right. And I don't know if they were really in love. But I think in the end, I figured out that... I was just the right place, at the right girl, at the right place, at the right time. And they kind of, it was very, in the very, very end that I figured it out. They just kind of used me and then they went on their own lives because uh, I, I, I was so looking for love and they showed me attention and I believed them. I was young, I was becoming an adolescent right. and I just was discovering all these feelings of, of love and, and, and they were giving them to me and I, I absolutely believed that they loved me and it was a real, it was really difficult in the end to realize what really happened. That, that, no, they didn't really love me. I, they, they just used me. Well, and what you say is, you said your soul knew that at one point you said you talked to Mary. Your, your, my fifth Mary, Mary is. Yeah. And, you, and Mary said, hey, they don't love you. They're using you. They don't love your soul. 
And I just thought that was profound to be as young as you were to realize that it was important that they loved your soul, that they loved you for the inside and not what you looked on on the outside because you were a beautiful girl. You were young. They took advantage of your innocence. But you knew that the most important thing was somebody who loved you for the inside. Exactly. And, you know, I, I discovered it at that time. And, and, uh, when I was dating later on, uh, had, you know, other men when I was here in college and all, I always used to look for someone whom I would say, someone who could see my soul. Right. And, 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 uh, there are many, many people who don't. Even, even today, you know, it's very difficult. You know, when you see someone walking down the road, you know, you see what they're wearing, you see their eyes, their jewelry, whatever, but you really don't know them. And you, you right. cannot see their soul until they reveal it to you, until they pay attention, attention and they're present and they want to know all that makes you, you and, and not somebody else. Right. And that really was profound because I thought there are some, like you just say, there are so many people who are still realizing that a lot of times a relationship uh, is superficial. It's not about who you really are. And when you find someone who loves you for your soul, for who you are, for your smarts, because you are a smart lady and you did find that guy, you did find a guy and that was out, that was after college, right? Yes, it was after college. It was like two years after college. He was a couple of years younger than me. So I was, you know, already working. Right. And, uh, I remember I thought you really could see my soul because, you know, many guys would, would ask, you know, where are you from? What does your father do? And it was all, all the things that I knew nothing about. Who's your mother? At that point, remember, I didn't know anybody. I hadn't met my mother. I hadn't found my father. I was right. just, I, I had no one. So I was, I, I always kind of judge my dates on, on, on the questions they asked me. And very few of them really asked me questions about me. It was who, who I, where I came from, what I had, who my parents were, my society, you know, my, my standing in the society, my education, my job. Right. Not and, about you personally. Uh, and and right. I couldn't answer almost all of those questions because I, uh, uh, many of them surrounded the family situation, which I, I, I had no experience with. Right. Now, I didn't talk about Kathy. Kathy, the, the, the way you ended up leaving um, Africa is that you had a wonderful mother, Kathy, who adopted you. And she was only, what, 23 at the time she, was, she adopted Yes, she was 23 and I was 19. Yeah. So, you know, and she was my English teacher in, in, in secondary school. And as you could see from the story, I was lucky enough to go to school because those days women were not educated. Right. And uh, so, but I was chosen to, when I finished the fourth grade at the orphanage, I went to this at the middle school and right. I went to the eighth grade. And then I was chosen to go to the first secondary school for girls in the country, which was run by American Catholic Mary Knox sisters from New York and right. Kathy came as a volunteer teacher to help with the English department and she she taught English and drama and she taught four of us she helped us get ready for the Cambridge exams oral English so she found out about me and that I had no place to go during the holidays I'll go back to the orphanage so I don't know what you know she moved mountains and she just made it happen and she had she wow. adopted me and I've, I've thought about that so very often 
and uh, I, I I figured it out because I, I always like to go deeper than what what meets the eye. I figured that you know when she saw me, she she didn't really see me with her brain or with her head or with her mind. She saw me with her heart. And you oh, know wow. the brain is always filtering. If any brain would tell you you were 23, hardly out of adolescence yourself, and you're adopting a fully grown basket case African woman oh. and bringing her over to to America, and you know everybody would tell you it was not a good idea. You are asking for trouble. How can you do it? And um, but no, she didn't. She didn't go there. Right. Her heart told her I needed someone. And she had lost her mother when she was very young, when she was 13. Okay. So she so knew what it was like not to have a mom. You know, that if she couldn't have a mother, maybe she could be a mother. Right. And, and she made the decision. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. I think it's fantastic. And we were talking on the break. You're in Florida now, and she's in Florida, and you still have a wonderful relationship with no, her. She's in Minnesota. Oh, she's in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. okay. So originally from Minnesota, from a very small town of Romania, oh. Minnesota, but now she's okay. living in, in, a, in, a, in a suburb of Minneapolis. But So she's still in Minnesota, and I go there for the, for the summer. For her summer to visit her. I think that's wonderful. Now, she, you ended up getting married, and you had a daughter of your own, and then somehow, and I can't remember, was it because you were looking for citizenship or that you had to find your mom? How did you end up deciding, let's, let's go find your mom and find I out who your mother was? Her. She found me. Oh, okay. She came looking for me. I was completely satisfied with Kathy as my mom. I completely stopped. I forgot I didn't need a mother anymore. Right. Right. You know, because I'd found Kathy and I'd found right. a mother, so I, that was not any of my concerns anymore. But she came looking for me. She wrote, as you can see in the book, it's very, very complicated. She right. knew who I, you know, she knew where I was. She took me to the orphanage. And she used to come and visit me. I was dressed up on the pretext of being shown for adoption to this woman or to other women, and she would come and just look at me and not touch me. And so she knew where I was all the time, so she helped Kathy find. When Kathy told her she wanted to adopt me, I'd, other way, other people had wanted to adopt me too, but she did not give her permission. But Kathy went to, wanted to adopt me, and she said yes, maybe because she was an American and she was going to take me to America. And it turned out my mother was also American. So right. she helped me get an American passport before I left Africa. Otherwise, I could not have left because I had no parents. I had no citizenship. I see. So I she see. went okay. and vouched for me at a time when it was very important. And so she gave me American citizenship through her birth. I see. We've got about uh, a few minutes here before we go to break, um, probably about 30 seconds. But I um I, I want to talk when we come back about when you did um, meet your mom and, and all of that. And then guess what, you guys? In the third book, she meets her father, which is really cool, too. I think this is so wonderful. And there's pictures. I want to mention this, too. Um, we're about 15 seconds to break. But when you get these books, you guys, and I'm sure we can find them at Amazon. Is that right, Amazon? Yes, you can get, you get them at Amazon. Yeah, you'll see pictures of her when she's a little girl. Anyway, we'll be right back. This is Nancy, you're out. We will be right back. 
Toginet Radio has partnered with one of the largest travel booking engines in the world to offer savings of 15% to 30% or more on hotel booking fees through our own web portal, www.bestradiotravel.com. Discover the discount you can receive by going to bestradiotravel.com forward slash Nancy to see for yourself. This is a custom booking site for the listeners of my show through Toginet Radio. We have negotiated special rates at over 650,000 hotels worldwide to save our customers money. Our members leverage our massive buying power to save thousands of dollars by booking with us. BestRadioTravel.com can beat the best prices offered by any other major travel booking website. Please go to BestRadioTravel.com slash Nancy to sign up and enjoy the discounts. That is BestRadioTravel.com forward slash Nancy. Do you feel like something is missing in your life? Do you feel lost or alone? Do the things you buy for yourself lose their luster quickly? Are you searching for fulfillment within your heart and soul? What if you were given the ability to change your life for the better, to create what you want for yourself? If I told you you have the ability to tap into the universal energy to design the life you desire. This was my discovery many years ago. As a businesswoman and a single mom, I had no choice but to pay attention to what the universe was revealing to me, and I learned how to use it for my benefit. When you wake up and pay attention to the messages that the universe is showing you, your life will change for the better. Because we all hold the ability to tap into the universal energy to enhance our love life, our career, our finances, anything you wish. This energy was created for our use and it's free. Now, I'm excited to share this information with you in my book, Wake Up, The Universe is Speaking to You. It's available to you on my website at www.nancyyearout.com. That's N-A-N-C-Y-Y-E-A-R-O-U-T.com, Barnes & Noble, and Amazon. And thanks for picking up my book. And may the energy of the universe. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to The High Road. Hey, welcome back to High Road to Humanity. Don't forget to pick up my book, Wake Up, The Universe is Speaking to You, and I talk about energy, and I talk about my story, and uh, you guys might learn some stuff, how to manifest, how to create what you want in your life, so you can get it at Barnes & Noble or at Amazon.com. We are here today with Maria Nambu. Her first book is called African Child, Africa's Child. She has three books. The second book is called America's Daughter. And the third book is Drum Beats, Heart Beats. And um, we were talking on the break, and I said to Maria, and I want to talk about this real quick, that there have to have been so many young girls who this uh, story impacted. And uh, share what you've heard from, from different people who have read your book, some young girls uh, with the audience, would you, Maria? Um, mostly they, the um, people tell me right away they they – what they discovered the most is that um, they did not know that so much of their happiness 
beloved, I mean, they, they were in charge of so much of their happiness that they really are in charge of their lives and they can change their situations. They, they, even though they're born in a situation, they discover that there was a way and there was a power. If you, you worked hard and you believed in yourself, that you could get out of there and you did not want, to, you don't have to get stuck. We cannot, you know, we cannot have our past always define us because we, we play a role in that, you know, and, uh, people very often, uh, people of mixed race, they, they're, they're happy because someone is speaking out for us, you know, unless you are one of us and you've had to be treated like, like in Africa, we were always, we were called half caste and we were always reminded that we were always half and we could never be a whole of anything. Right. So a child growing up with that really has everything against them. But I think my books show that it's you cannot have other people define who you are. And also, right. even though you've grown, been unfortunate to have a, a, a tough childhood like that, you cannot let your past or your childhood define the person you are today or the person you are going to become. There's lots of of, of survival tools that we can use and and one of them is just looking within yourself to find the things you need right well and you know i'm going to say that that helps people who are not children who are adults who have gone through traumatic things in their life i mean your book can help anybody because it tells you that all you have to do is look inside believe in a higher power whether you call it god or whatever it doesn't matter. You just need to have confidence, like you say, in yourself. Know that you're great. It's just the way you are. You don't need acceptance from anybody else, you know, and that is huge. And I just love that. I think that's fantastic. And I just love how you, um, are you a religious person now? Do you go, are you, do you pray a lot or do you? Well, I would say I've always been the same since I was a child, you know, I, I consider myself a Catholic because if I have to give a religion, I would say Catholic because that is the, the, the religion that I'm very familiar with and that I know a lot about, but I'm not a practicing Catholic. I do not go to church per se. I go to any church that moves me every so often, but right. um, I always have felt like a very, very spiritual being. I just yeah. always felt I was living among in the in the side of me that makes me uh that 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 is in touch with the divine in me with the divine that is in all of human beings right i i find that i go there often and that's why i have my fat mary and uh because there's a power that i that that i know exists i can name it but i when i go there i feel comfort i feel a part of it i feel powerful and to me, that's, uh, that's why I say I'm more, I'm really more spiritual than religious. Yeah, I am too. I, I like that. I grew up in the, uh, in the Church of Christ, but I feel like you do. I feel like, um, I can connect to the divine. And when I meditate and I connect, then I feel more whole. And, you know, we all go th- through trials in our lives, but when you know that you love yourself, and that God loves you, then everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was coming to America, I was so afraid. I didn't know what to expect. I was I was really afraid. I'd hardly left the little orphanage, uh, yeah. you know, and, and I saw a little plane for the first time. Everything was so big and all. But I remember 
on the plane, you know, flying internationally. It was it, it was way beyond everything. I did not know you could tell me I was going to the moon and I would have believed you. Uh, <laughs> I remember saying to myself, going to talk to Fat Mary and realizing that as long as I had Fat Mary, I was going to be okay. I, it, she really sued me. And then, of course, Fat Mary is me. Right. You know, so I, I knew as long as I, I was comfortable with myself, I respected myself, I loved myself, I would work, I really wanted to study, I wanted to, to live. I, I knew knowing me and having me, since I had no choice as a child, I had to have me and to want me. You know, if I have that, I will always have it and I, I, I knew I would survive. Right. And what a great tool to teach people for survival to feel good about themselves. You know, you talk about when you got off the airplane in uh, the United States, in New York, and you were looking for the Statue of Liberty and it wasn't there. And you <laughs> tell that real quick, because I thought that was well, funny. you know, we had these American teachers and they told us all the time, you know, in, in America, this, you know, as soon as you arrive in America, everybody, I thought it was everybody who arrived in America and everybody arrived, you know, in New York. As soon as you arrived in America, there was a Statue of Liberty to, to greet you and to welcome you to America. We were told that. So right. I came to the airport and I was really looking for the Statue of Liberty. And I didn't, and then after a while I said, well, maybe it's not a statue. Maybe it's just a, a real person is going to come up here with a light and, and <laughs> So I was looking behind the doors, I was looking in different rooms, I was looking everywhere for the Statue of Liberty, and I remember being so disappointed and wondering if, that if since the Statue of Liberty didn't come to greet me, if, if I was wanted in America, if, you know, to me America was the promised land. Right. I started questioning if those promises that America gives to people who come, if those promises were for me too. And, and, uh, so I, but then I finally realized, I think even on that trip, much later on, we went way out there on Ellis Island to right. look for it in and found this statue. It was the last place I thought of to look for it. And I would have to look at it to see from above the plane, you know, looking down. Right. So it, it was a disappointment that there wasn't, uh, the statue there or someone who represented, you know, the yeah, progress of America. Right. Uh, but when I saw the actual statue, I finally believed my American teachers that there really was a statue to welcome people. I think that's wonderful. I think that's <laughs> awesome. I, I just thought that was a cool story. What? Now, I, I want to fast forward a little bit. When did you start doing your dance? Because you guys, she starts doing teaching. Um, it's it's yo aerobics with soul, and I love that. So you took your African heritage, you took what you had inside of you, and you started doing aerobics with soul. When was that, that you started to do that? Yes, it was in um, 1981. You know, I okay. had just had my son, and I gained 60 pounds carrying him, and he was like four, and I had not lost about 40 of those pounds. <laughs> and uh, at that time, the fitness craze, the Afri the, I mean, the dance fitness, you yeah. know, yeah. dance aerobics was right. really big. So I went to all those aerobic classes, you know, thinking I'm going to lose weight uh, and everything, but I hated every moment. I mean, I oh, could okay. one more sit-up, one more leg lift, one. I, <laughs> each time I was doing it, I kept saying, there got to be something better. there got to be something better. And I was in such a mood every time. I just didn't like it. So one day I went home and I decided, you know, I always dance as a child, as you know, through the book. I used to sneak in the villages to go and dance. And the dancing made me so happy. So I started right. dancing on my own. I put my old African vinyls on and I just danced. And 
eventually I invited people to come and join me and they loved it and they said, you know, you should make this into a fitness class. Right. Well, I didn't know how to do that, but so I took classes and I got certified by the American Council on Exercise and I developed a, a class, an, an aerobics class, because I wanted to share what I knew, the joy, the beauty, the magic, the spontaneity, the freedom, the liberation that you right. feel when you dance the African way. You know, there's yeah. no right way to dance, there's only dance. And that is what I felt I could share with the American people who had given so much to me. What a gift. What a cool thing that you did. I just think it's the coolest. You guys, and there's pictures. You've got to see her. I mean, she was just hopping. She, you were just really in great shape doing this and teaching people. And you went all over the country doing this, didn't you? Did you go all over the world? Yes, yeah. I taught it all over the world. And I, and I still do. I'm right now training new instructors. I taught instructors. Wow. That is super exciting. Um, we've got a couple minutes before we go to break. I, we've got like two minutes and I do want to talk, um, more about your mom and how that all occurred. And I want to talk about your dad before I don't want to tell them everything in the books. They've got to read these books, Maria, but I want to talk a little bit uh, more about your mom. Did you end up uh, develop, developing a good relationship with her? Your real mom, my real mom, my birth mother. Yeah, I know it was not, I wouldn't say it was not good, but it was not bad. It's like, it's like okay. a kind of, we coexisted. I figured her out and I did everything on her terms. I figured she had a story of her own and uh, she was not willing to tell me. She never talked about anything about her life in Africa and I I could not judge her. I I was grateful for some of the things she had done that even though we did not get along, I I did the best I could to be to be a good daughter to her. Well, I, and I think that's very um, admirable of you. You know, um, a lot of us, you know, judge or, you know, but but I think it's wonderful that you looked at it, that she had her own story and um, and that you were very honorable. She was your birth mother. And um, I think it's good that you got to meet her. Was, there had to be a lot of... Um, uh, that had to be difficult for you. Hey, listen, you guys, we got about 30 seconds to break. Uh, we, we should do a two hour show here with Maria today because there's so much stuff I want to talk about. But this is Nancy Yearout. Her book is called, the first book, if you want to read it, you guys, it's called African's Child. Um, the way you spell her last name is N-H-A-M-B-U. It's Nambu and it's Maria. So if you want to pick up these books, again, the second one is America's Daughter, okay? And the third one is Drum Beats and Heartbeats. We'll be right back. This is Nancy Yearout. We'll be right back with The High Road and more. Don't forget to visit Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, to sign up for her intuitive personal coaching program or to book a psychic reading. It's from Oklahoma, man. We don't waste it. I'm just trying to paint the picture for It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar 
eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Man cannot live by bread alone. He must have his peanut butter. Peanut butter is a pate of childhood, and it's not just for kids as dogs love it too. Last night I gave my dog a pill hidden in peanut butter. What's a word for a messy concoction that helps the medicine go down? Sliver sauce. Mice apparently prefer peanut butter to cheese when it comes to luring them into the trap. But there are even more practical uses for peanut butter. Peanut butter contains natural oils, which makes it perfect for removing all kinds of sticky things, like gum stuck in your shoe or in your hair. What's a word for the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth? Arachnophobia. And according to Barry Goldwater, if you don't mind smelling like peanut butter for two or three days, peanut butter is a darn good shaving cream. It's marching. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road. Hey, welcome back to Higher Edge of Humanity, and this is Nancy, you're out your host. We're here today with Maria Nambu, and gosh, I, I told Maria I could just talk to her for another hour, but Maria is here, and, and if you joined us late, she grew up in an orphanage in um, Africa, she made it to America, she is very well educated, she Her, not just the United States, but the world. And a lot of these books, let me tell you, have wonderful life lessons, real life lessons. Maria, on this last segment, I want to talk about your dad. I was not able to read. I was skimming through the last book. And, and let me just say something. You're a really good writer. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I'm insecure about that because English is not my language. Well, I was intrigued through the whole first book, and then I was trying to go through the rest of the books to find out what happened, because you want to know what happened. So tell us the story. How did you find your father? You know, my mother introduced me to my half-brother, who was all white, of course. She and her husband were missionaries who went to, you know, to Tanganyika at that time, Tanzania now, and they took their two-year-old little boy with them. Okay. So... When I, after I met my mother, a few years later, she introduced me to Larry, who is my half-brother. And he was just absolutely wonderful. I always say I could search the world over for, and pick someone to be my brother. I would have picked him. He wow. was just everything that our mother wasn't. And uh, he, he couldn't wait to come and meet me. And uh, oh, the story continues because he thought I was somebody else. Evidently, there was another mixed-race child in the family too that he was raised with and for a moment he thought I was her but it turned out I wasn't but anyway when our mother passed away Larry said that he felt really guilty and he oh, oh, oh he owes me whatever it is what he was saying to take me back and find my father because my mother would tell us nothing 
So we really oh. looked at each other to be like the blind leading the blind. We had no idea. He hadn't been to Africa for 45 years. He, he, he grew up there and came here to go to college and, and he became, uh, a pediatrician. And, okay. uh, so, so we, but whatever, we decided to go. So we, we packed up and for three weeks he left his practice and we went to Africa and we, with Tanzania and we combed north, south, east, west to look for people and we started out with the people he remembered, people who worked for them. Okay, right. so there was the cook, and and there were there was the 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 person who did the laundry, someone who worked in the field, someone who did the shopping. They had servants, you know, everywhere. So we he remembered the names, and we went to the villages. We told they were we couldn't find anybody, and told the la, you know the very last one we went to see. We got to the village, and he wasn't even there. We couldn't see anything. But then one thing leads to another, and actually one miracle leads to another, and then eventually. We end up this very last person. We find him, and he ends up being my father. Oh my gosh! Was their cook. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! And and anyway, and his name was Yeremia Nambu, and he asked. He didn't want much, you know. I wanted to bring to America just to see America because for most Africans, they, they just, they're curious. They want to they hear about America. No, yeah. he was not interested to come to America, but he was okay. very interested in having his name live in America. So he kept oh. telling me, my name must live in America. So oh. a few years later, I took our two children and my husband and Kathy and her daughter. Okay. And we went to the little village to meet him. And the only thing he asked his grandchildren, my children, is please have my name live in America. So when I came back here, I took Nambu with my middle name. And when I was divorced, I dropped my last name and I kept Nambu. And then now I'm using Nambu as a first name to okay. honor him. I mean, my official name is Maria Nambu, but I go by oh. Nambu so oh. that his name will be, will be out there and we'll hear it. And my children added Nambu as part of their names also. Okay. And I, as you know, I have a huge collection of African art. Okay. I, I donated it to the, um, to the Children's Defense Fund and it is, uh, uh, shown over and displayed at Haley Farm in Clinton, Tennessee. When I went to visit the art a few years after I, I'd given it there, I was so happy. They named it the Nambu African Art Collection. So my father's name is going to live in oh that and it, it just makes me so happy. That is phenomenal. Now, the art that you have collected, is this things that you brought when you first came, when you went back, or? I had, no, not at all. When I first came here, I knew nothing about Africa, about African culture. You know, remember we were under the British, first of all, I was raised by Germans, and then we were under the, the British, and when we went to school, we learned about England, and, and we learned about the Commonwealth, and we didn't learn anything about African history, let alone African art, nothing. I knew nothing. When I came to, um, to America, I remember I went to Target, or it was Target and to Pier 1 import, and I saw an African mask. And it blew me away. I said, it talked to me. It was one of those cheap ones, which we call airport art, you know, or tourist right, art. Right, and, right, But it spoke to me. So little by little, I started, every time I saw I collected African art, wow. and I tried to study a lot about African art. There was something wow. about African art, which was like African dance, that comforted me. 
There was something spiritual, there was something divine, there was something real, there was something very, very human about it that it always attracted me and I could relate to it. So I've always collected it and I've always surrounded me with African art. So I, I always feel like I'm all with my people, with the spiritual side of me, with the ritual side of, of living in Africa. Wow, that is really powerful. And then to have it go into a museum and have your father's name on it. I mean, how fabulous is that? That is just amazing. Boy, God sure works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. That but, but, is great. You know, it's not really in a museum. One of the requirements I had, I had offered, you know, parts of my uh, African art to different museums, and right. but I had a few conditions. My number one condition is that I really did not want it to be put in a museum or in a one one building. I wanted it to be wherever people live, in the kitchen, oh. in the living room, in the dining room, on the porch, you know, in the, in the bathroom. I, I wanted it to be everywhere so that it would be part of life. You did not leave your living room to go and look at a piece of art at a museum. There are many museums who do th that do that and it's very needed. But for my art, I wanted people to relate to it, to touch it, and to, to, to just meet it from where they are. To, uh, I didn't want to have a plaque put on the side to say this is so-and-so. And okay. No, I, I didn't want a description. I wanted whoever was looking at the art to relate to it from by themselves where they are what it spoke to them and then later on i will i was i am going to i haven't done it yet i'm going to prepare a catalog for what the art was actually used for but i want people to encounter the art and feel it and have it speak to them or not speak to them from wherever they they were so when you i went to Haley farm it was just so nice everywhere you went you know in the dining room, in the hallway, out, outside on the path, they had the big stone sculptures. Every single place you looked, there was there was art, and it called you. You couldn't enter a room with that so many or such right. nice art, and you right. just sit down and start reading your book or take out your phone. You didn't do that. It, you you felt oh like their presence. So right. we are here. Take a look. The energy. It's the energy, Maria. Yes, it's the energy just draws you in, and, and I think that's what I get from it. That's cool. Now, tell the audience, what are you doing today? What's going on with you? What, if somebody wants to get in contact with you, how do they find you? Do you have a website? I know you yes. do. It. What I'm doing today, you know, I, I thought that writing my books was, the, was going to be the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. I really thought so because they were so difficult to write because, you know, when you write it, you have to relive it. And sometimes right. it was so heavy, I had to put it aside. Right. But I'm finding out now that it, it was not the easy part, but it was not the most difficult. What I'm finding difficult is where I am now is, is getting the word out. After I put all that work, you know, it was truly blood, sweat, and tears to get those books out. Right. Well, you can tell. Just out so you of know. Me. You and can so, tell. And yeah, because you were talking yeah, to me. Yeah, no, because when you read the book, you can tell. I mean, it was hard. It had to have been difficult for you to talk about the orphanage and to talk about, you know, if the girls wet the bed, how they were beaten and mm -hmm. how they were taken advantage of and how there wasn't, how you were cold and how there was no food to eat and how, you know, you didn't have anybody. I mean, you had nobody. You had no mm -hmm. mother father no no brother no sister nothing and that had to have been difficult to relive that yes. 
it was really difficult, you know, but uh, what I'm doing now, I'm finding it difficult. I'm trying to spread the word. I'm trying to do the PR. That's why I'm doing this interview with you. And thank you for having me on your show. You're so welcome. I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But I'm also continuing to train people to teach aerobics with soul. I'm training instructors so that it can, you know, aerobics with soul can't be franchised. It, it just, it doesn't lend itself to it. I have to train everybody one by one. And uh, so that's what I'm doing. And in the back of my mind, I really have the idea to write a children's book based on Fat Mary. Because when I discovered Fat Mary, when I created Fat Mary, I was a child. And I think children sometimes you know, as much, much, right. much, and they really are in touch with themselves if we just let them be. Yes, gosh, you know what, and I'll tell you, we've got like one minute before we've got the end of the show here, but I want to say that to you, and that's why I read that at the beginning of the show, because when I read about Fat Mary and what you did, and she's not fat anymore, you guys, just so you know, she grew <laughs> out of that a long time ago. She's a really beautiful lady, and, and I just think it's great that you talk about this and you teach us, and yes, a children's book would be fantastic, and when you write it, you have to come back and see me. Yes, I will. I I hope I can do it. It's it's abstract, but I'm just you know mulling it in my head, and hopefully I'll I'll succeed. No, you will, and I think it's fantastic. You guys, one more time. Um, let me give you some information. Now it's Maria Nambu. I'm gonna spell this in case it's, if you want to get in touch with her. She has a website, so it's Maria, and then it's n h a m b u dot com. If you want to look at her website, she's got an excerpt from the book. If you want to buy her books, they're at Amazon.com. It's a trilogy. There are three. Um, read the first one first, obviously, because you won't be able to put it down, and then you'll want to move on to the second one immediately. And that was me, because I only get a week, you know, to, to do this. And I was like going through the third book, and it's I'll go back and probably finish it, because what a story. And thank you for coming on my show today. Thank you so much. It means a whole lot, and um, and the work you're doing is so fantastic, and I hope that you will come back and write that children's book. You know, there's so many kids out there that could use it. Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. Well, this is Nancy Yearout, your host. You guys, um, don't forget to tune in again next week. We always have wonderful guests. We want to thank Maria for being here, and have a great week. Talk to you soon. Stories filled with wisdom, love, and hope for our future. To sign up for my intuitive life coaching or a psychic reading, visit my website, www.nancyyearout.com. My email address is nancy at highroadtohumanity.com. So have a fabulous week and know that by staying on the high road, you will make it to your destination. <laughs>